0: This morning we are starting a brand new series looking at the theme of rest and I just really feel the importance of this and it's been something that I've been sitting on for a while waiting for what felt like the right time and this feels like it and so we're going all in for July. The whole of July every Sunday we're going to be preaching on the theme of rest and then as you've seen, our life group series is going to be looking at the practice of Sabbath, which I know is going to be challenging for some of us, but I think it's going to be really incredible. So like Rochelle said, if you are not connected to a life group, please come and speak to me, Rochelle, uh, wh- whoever, and get connected because this series is going to be uh, life-changing, I believe. I genuinely believe that. So get connected into that. Why don't we pray? That's a good place to start. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being in your house and worshipping together. You deserve all the honour and all the glory. And so this morning, I pray that as we begin this series, as we look into this theme of rest, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us uh, in the way that you designed us to live and to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in 1967, some experts on time management created a report believing that technology, satellites, and robotics would present a big problem for the workplace in years to come. The problem? People would have too much free time. Too much free time. And they concluded that by the year 1985... People might have to choose between working 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year, wouldn't that be nice, or retiring at 38. So according to this research, I should have retired last year. Well, their calculations were perhaps a little off, weren't they? They were not quite accurate. Because we now live in such a fast paced world with high speed broadband and fast food and Ubers and drive through Starbucks and express checkouts and devices that sit in our pockets that allow us to access any kind of information, checking emails, interacting with people, getting the latest news all at the touch of a button. And if it's not loaded within two to three seconds, we get fed up and put it away. Our attention span is so far gone that I think that goldfish are beating us in terms of that. And beyond that, beyond that, we live in a culture that fuels the lie that busyness gives us value. How many conversations have you had, maybe even this morning in church over coffee, where you said, oh, hi, how you doing? And the response was, yeah, I'm good. Busy. But good. We seem to carry this this busyness like a badge of honor in our lives, but it could not be farther from the truth. That is not how we were designed to live, that is not who we were designed to be. And so, over the course of the next month, we're going to be looking at God's design for mankind. We're going to be looking at the rhythm of life that was set out for us at the beginning of creation. That was not just created but was commanded by God and yet somehow has been lost in our lives today. This is not going to be a series that advocates laziness This is not going to be a series that gives people an excuse to do nothing because there is work to do and the Bible talks about the importance of work and that we all have a part to play. We all have a role in God's mission for mankind. But there is a balance to work and to life. And there is a balance that most, if not all of us, are missing right now. Because we live in a world that is so full of of pressure and of stress, where drama and uncertainty and striving to achieve is commonplace in our lives. Do you know, if we compare our lives today with the life of Jesus and the pace that he ran at, there is such a vast difference. Jesus was never rushed. Do You know, I was reminded of the story in the Bible where Jesus finds out that Lazarus, one of his good friends, was seriously ill. And his friend was a day and a half's walk away. And so he gets this news that he's seriously ill on his deathbed, essentially. Does Jesus drop everything that he's doing and rush to be with his friend? No, that's not what he did. Because he was in a place and he had a job to do and he stayed there for two more days to do what he was doing at that time before making the journey to be with Lazarus. And there were other reasons for that as well, but he didn't rush. You know, often we can let other people's emergency become our own emergency. But actually that's not how life should be. Because if God has called you to do something, you've got to get that done before you move on to anything else. Jesus wasn't overwhelmed by life. Even though his mission was enormous, let's not pretend like, well, the pace of life for Jesus was easy because he had this enormous mission to do in an incredibly short space of time. But our obsession with busyness and with hurriedness, it isn't just a scheduling problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. And so we're going to do a deep dive into this idea of rest and we're going to reconnect with who we were meant to be, who we were created to be, and how we were designed to be living our lives. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Look at your neighbor and say, you look like you could use a rest. the psalmist writes be still and know that I am God be still and know that I am God when we pause when we find rest it's then that we can truly know God It's in those moments of stillness and of quiet and of peace where we can find God and we can know God. Through rest, we enlarge our understanding of who God is and who we can be in him. We need to slow down. Walter Adams, the spiritual director to C.S. Lewis, he said this. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Psychologist Carl Jung, he said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. These are powerful words. But let's ground this in some scripture. That's, uh, that's an important place to be. And so we're going to look this morning at the story of creation And you know, when I was prepping for this morning, do you know what I nearly did? I thought to myself, well, what I'll do is I'll just give a summary of Genesis 1 and get to the good stuff in Genesis 2 as quickly as possible. Isn't it easy to see how hurried life just creeps in so wickedly? So we're not going to do that. We're going to slow down the pace and we're going to read together Genesis 1 in all its fullness And just reconnect with that story of creation in its wonder and its magnitude. We're going to slow right down and we're going to take these words in because they are amazing. And you may have read them once. You may never have read them. You may have read them a hundred times. But together we're going to work through this story of creation. Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm and, and swarm of, with swarm of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seeds, in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. Such powerful words. And it's good to just take the time to to read them and to let them just sink in once again. But now we've kind of read it in all its context. Let me just reread the important verses. Let me just reread the key verses for this morning. I'm going to read it in the NLT just for a bit of variety. So Genesis 2. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation And so he rested from all of his work and God blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And actually going through that and reading it in all its context, with all of Genesis 1 first before we get to Genesis 2, I wonder how many of you noticed the the difference in language between uh, days 1 to 6 and then day 7. Because days 1 to 6, they end with the phrase, and there was evening and there was morning, the first, second, third day. But day 7, the day of rest, it doesn't have that phrase. It doesn't kind of conclude in the same way that all the other days do. Dr. John Andrews, who's preached here a number of times in his book, First Day, he suggests that the use of language in this way is a nudge towards the truth, that the rest established on the seventh day was never meant to remain in the confines of a single day, but was intended to be enjoyed every day. It was intended to be enjoyed every day. And he also points out that whilst it was on the seventh day that God rested, it was man's first day. It was man's first full day. And so before humankind got stuck in to the work that God had set out before them, before they got into being fruitful and multiplying and having dominion over all of the things on the earth, in the air and in the sea, before any of that... On day one for mankind, we joined with God in rest. God not only wanted us to find rest, he not only wants us to find rest, but to live in rest and to learn to live from and work from a place of rest. And there's something so powerful about acknowledging and understanding the importance of rest in this way. Rest is not the reward for all the work that we have done. It's the place from which effective work can happen. And that, I believe, is the importance that man rested on the first day. So in life groups, we're going to be looking at the practice of Sabbath, which is a specific day. It's taking a single day of our week to stop rest, delight and worship like we've already seen in our video this morning and I think it's really going to be incredible for those of us who are willing to step up to this and to engage in this practice but the truth is that rest is more than just a day. I think it's a great principle and it will really ground us in this practice but it's more than just a day, it's a lifestyle. It's how we live our lives from And it's holistic. It's not just about a physical rest. And I know many of us are just exhausted with life. But it's not just a physical rest for our bodies. It's an emotional rest. It's a spiritual rest. It's in this place where we can actually find rest for our souls. This kind of rest that we're looking at, it moves from the inside out. Impacting our physicality, but originating in our spirituality. And what we'll see from uh, the series on Sundays and through our life group study is that Sabbath and rest is ultimately about relationship and intimacy with our Heavenly Father, with our Creator. It's about knowing His heart and doing His will. And, you know, if we approach our walk with Jesus by trying to kind of squeeze him in and fit him into the the busyness of our life, we've got our priorities all wrong. We've fallen into the trap of hurry. Because Jesus shouldn't be anything but the first thing in our lives. He shouldn't be anything but the main priority for who we are. And you know, we try to encourage that here as a church throughout every aspect of our lives. We try to encourage uh, putting God first in our year by dedicating January to praying and fasting together. We encourage putting God first in our month with tithing and with giving. We encourage putting him first in our week by coming to church on a Sunday or the practice of Sabbath that we'll be looking at. And the first of our day through just putting God first maybe opening the scriptures, maybe spending some time in prayer before we jump into our never-ending to-do lists. Above all, our lives should be focused on Jesus. Everything that we do. And if that's not the case, then we need to slow down. No, we, we need to stop and reassess our priorities and get things in line. Hebrews 4 verse 11 says, So let's do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. You know, it's really interesting. That verse in the King James Version, it puts it like this. Let us labor to enter rest. We actually have to work at entering into God's rest. It almost seems counterintuitive, but I think what we'll find particularly when we look at the practice of Sabbath, is that it's actually going to be hard work to find this rest that God created for us. Not because it should be hard, but because of the world and the culture that we now live in. Because we are just surrounded with the pressure and the busyness of life, that finding rest, that hitting the pause button on life, is really challenging for us. And so we're going to need to work at it. We're going to need to be disciplined. But the reward, the reward is so great because it is how we were created. It is what we were designed for. Our first day on this earth was rest. And so right at the beginning of this month-long series, I just want to make sure and spend a few minutes making sure that we understand the problem. Because it's only once we acknowledge a problem that we realize we need to find a solution for that problem. But first, we need to acknowledge it. And some of you in the room, you get it already. You're like, I absolutely can see what it is that you're saying, but maybe for others, We're not quite there yet. And so I just want to highlight for us just three points this morning. And this is by no means an exhaustive list of the things that a hurried life is robbing us of. And so my first point this morning is this. A hurried life destroys your relationship with God. A hurried life destroys your relationship with God. John Mark Comer, he's the guy who's going to do a lot of the teaching for our Life Group series. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Make a note of that now. It's an amazing book. You will love it. I guarantee it. Uh, But he said this in that book. He refers to hurry as the great enemy of spiritual life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Because there is so much in this world vying for our attention, pulling us this way and that, that it's so easy for God to slip down our priority list. You know, I mentioned, didn't I, a few weeks ago, how I kind of fell into this trap of skipping my morning prayer walk so that I could get to my never-ending to-do list. I just don't have time to pray. Life is just too busy. And honestly, whether we admit it or not, I don't think I'm the only one in the room who is living in that life. But the truth is do we have time not to pray? Do we have time not to pray? Yes, cultivating an intimacy with God requires time, it requires stillness. It requires silencing the chaos of the world that is around us. It requires removing distractions. Perhaps we need to turn our phones on silent or even off. Did you notice, those of you who've got iPhone users, that they made it harder to turn your phone off? It used to be that you just hold up the power button. Not anymore. Now you've got to hold two buttons. They've just made it that much harder for you to switch off from life. So maybe we need to turn off our phones. Maybe we need to shut down the lids of our laptops. Maybe we need to actually leave the house so that we're not distracted by the chores or the television or whatever it may be in your life. Wingman Dao, a Chinese pastor, said that we have so much to do that we never really commune with God as he intended in the Garden of Eden. You know that picture that we read in Genesis 2 of that first day for mankind? That is how we were meant meant to live. That is what God intended for his creation. And then we probably know the story of Eve and Adam making the foolish mistake of thinking that, that they could do what God told them not to. And because of sin entering into the world, that is where this hurried life began. We were created for intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And hurry, as we've already said, is fighting to keep us from it. It's fighting. There's there's a war going on here for peace and rest in our lives. Do you know, I love that as we read the story of Jesus, that actually we see him living out and demonstrating a life where he removed himself from the busyness of the world. You know, even with the pace of life that Jesus was living, and granted, that life was a lot slower than the life that we live in today. But even in that pace, he was surrounded by busyness because Jesus attracted a lot of attention. Crowds flocked to be around him. They were pushing and shoving just to get a glimpse of him or to touch him. He was in constant demand for people's attention. So it might not have been his phone or Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever it is. But he was fighting for, uh, to fight against the distractions that were people pushing in and longing for his teaching and for his prayer and for his healing. And so he removed himself regularly from that pace of life Just to be with his father. You know, just two weeks ago, we looked at the story where Jesus walked on water. But what was he doing just before that? He'd fed the 5,000 people. He sent his disciples to go across the sea. And what did he do? He went up the mountain to pray into the early hours of the morning. He had been so busy. Dealing with these 5,000 plus people that he recognized, okay, now I need to just slow down again. Life's pace has just picked up so much, I just need to hit pause for a minute. I need to find rest and be in community with my father. After Jesus was baptized, before he began his three year long ministry, what did he do? He spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying, being in that place of commune with his father, of building relationship, of finding rest with his father. In Mark chapter 6, we read this. It says the, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. That sounds busy, doesn't it? From their ministry tour. And told them all they had done and taught. And then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves and find a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And so they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. They were so busy. They were so busy they couldn't even eat. Just before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was taken to be crucified and to die for our sins, what did he do? He went and got himself alone to rest in the presence of his Father, to find peace. Life was busy for Jesus. It was busy for his disciples. And yet Jesus found the time to teach them and to demonstrate for them and to teach us and to demonstrate for us the importance of rest. If we're not careful, a hurried life can destroy our relationship with God. And so we need to protect it. We need to fight for rest in our lives. Point number two, a hurried life decreases your capacity to love. What is the most important thing for us as followers of Christ? It is to love. Jesus said the greatest commandment above anything else is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But love is not in a rush. As the great philosopher Phil Collins said, you can't hurry, love. Or as the Apostle Paul wrote, perhaps more importantly, he said, love is patient. Love is patient. You know, there's a reason that we call it walking with God and not running with God. It's because God is love. God is love. And the pace of the kingdom is so much slower than the pace of this world. The more we increase the speed of our lives, the less capacity we have to love. The less capacity we have to love God and the less capacity we have to love those around us. And considering that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love others, we need to consider whether our hurried lives are costing us more than we realise. Can you imagine if I took Ruth out on a date? Picture the scene, fancy restaurant, maybe some candles, a bit of music going on. And before even arriving, I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And we get to the restaurant and I'm ordering for us so we don't have to wait. And when they bring us the food, I wolf it down before Ruth's even taking a bite. And I'm like, can we get the cheque, please? Come on, let's bring the bill. I got something to do back at home. How loved is she going to feel? Do you know her greatest love language is quality time? So that picture, perhaps not so hot, yeah? Okay, let's slow it down. Same picture. Fancy restaurant, candles, bit of music, but we're just going to slow it down a little bit. We've ordered our dinner. It arrives. It looks beautiful. But while we're eating our main course, I'm just I'm just picking up my phone because I've got a couple of got a couple of work emails I just need to deal with. And then I've ordered dessert, but just before that comes, I'm just going to go and take a call. It's really important. I'll, I'll be right back. Where are my priorities? If that's what life looks like. What's more important? Making sure that I've, I've cleared away all of the notifications on my phone. Or spending quality time with the one that I love. Where do our priorities need to be? Do you know if, if work is interfering with our relationship, hurry is winning. If social media is interrupting our prayer time, hurry is winning. If irritability and anger are regular occurrences in your life, hurry is winning. And we cannot let a hurried life win. We've got to fight for it. We've got to fight for rest. Above all else, we are called to love God and to love others. And to love takes time. To love takes time. We need to invest in our relationships with God and with other people. And if that's not happening, there is is a problem in our lives. A hurried life destroys your relationship with God. A hurried life decreases your capacity to love. And thirdly, But not finally, I'm not going to go into anything else, but this definitely is not all there is. A hurried life clouds your purpose and diminishes your passion. You know, one of our core values here at Hope Church is to help people find their God-given purpose. We are passionate about people understanding why they were put here on this earth. What it is that God has called each and every one of us to do because we all have been given a set of gifts and abilities and passions so that we can carry out the work that God is calling us to do. Work is important. I am not in any way dismissing that. There is work to do and it is good. But in the hurried culture that we live in, life's purpose seems to be defined by what we do do you know oftentimes when we meet someone for the first time one of the first questions that we will ask is so what do you do like that defines them as a person what do you do it's all about what we can see and what we can hold and what we can touch and what we can store up for ourselves but that is not kingdom culture That is not the way of God's kingdom because he flips everything upside down and he says, do not store up for yourselves on earth where it will just rot away and die. Store up for yourselves treasure that is in heaven. God's idea of purpose is not about doing. It's about being. We're human beings, not human doings. And so we can do things for God and that is great, that is really good. But if those good things don't flow out of a relationship with God, then something's gone wrong. And you know, we can be so guilty of that in church life, can't we? I know many of you can testify to this. You know There was a time in our lives, uh, many times in fact, where both Ruth and I would be out every night of the week doing something for church. But the question that we need to ask ourselves in those moments is, are we just doing church or are we actually being what God wants us to be in relationship with him? Are we so busy doing church that we've forgotten who we're doing it for? And it's something we're so conscious of here at church right now. You know, we're trying desperately to stop asking people to be out more than one night a week and I know that's not always possible depending on what teams you serve on but we are conscious of it because it's so important to not be so busy doing church that we forget who we're doing it for and I think that's one of the reasons why almost organically the 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 value and the vision for this year brought about such a strong emphasis on community, on gathering around tables, of just slowing down the pace of life. And so if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to join up to a life group this week, yes, do. It's going to be amazing. Oh, but then you're going to want me to be out another night on Friday because it's evening cafe. That doesn't count because that is chilled out. That is relaxing time. That is rest in community, that is loving those around you. We need to slow down the pace of life to delight in God and to find community in each other's company. Everything that we do, it has to flow from a relationship with God. It has to flow out of this place of rest that we are talking about. That's the primary, that's the number one, that's top of our to do list. To stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship in our Heavenly Father. Our life's pace matters. Unless we're moving at the speed of God, we're going to miss out on something really important because we're no longer looking at the world through God's lens. You know, he isn't impressed by exhaustion. God is not glorified when we take on so many responsibilities that we burn out. God does not enjoy it when our soul is in such a place of unrest and discontentment. Busyness is not a badge of faithfulness. It's time to slow down. It's time to slow down. So I, I hope that kind of sets the scene this morning as we enter into this series for this year. I hope it's maybe whetted your appetite a little bit for, for what's to come. I mentioned that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I've, I've mentioned this challenge to a few of you at one point or another, but here's an easy application that you can apply this week that I think could be a challenge the next time you're in Big Tesco or your supermarket of choice don't go to the express checkout find the longest queue and stand at the back and when someone comes behind you you can go in front of me no, no, after you I see your trolley full to the brim after you that is such a simple application but I tell you that is going to be a challenge for some of us because we've got to get where we've got to get to we don't even know where that is but we've got to get there really quickly so why not this week choose the longest queue see how it feels and then recognize there's a problem with us and the problem is we have not found rest. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the original design, for the way in which you created each and every one of us, that you created us to live and to love from a place of rest. God, I thank you for this opportunity on a Sunday where for many of us we get to just come and slow down and just be in your presence to find that rest, to to delight in your goodness, to worship you with those around us. God, I pray that you would help us to find more moments like that in our lives, that we would find that rest that our souls are longing for, God, for those of us that have heard this message this morning and are feeling just a little bit uncomfortable, I pray that you would just, in that still, small voice, just whisper to us, it's time to rest. It's time to rest. It's time to slow down.